This is KMTT. Today, on Mondays, we have a shear of Harav Binyamin Tavori, who this year will be examining different responses, Shalotu Tshuvot, from the major ones from the 18th and 19th century. Harav Tavori. We are continuing today to discuss a few of the tshuvos of Rav Azriel Hildesheimer. As I mentioned last uh, shiur, Rav Hildesheimer's tshuvos have been printed in two volumes. The first volume, printed in Tavshin Chavtes, is has tshuvos on Orachaim in Yeridea. The second volume has tshuvos in Evener Ezer and Choshemishpat. I'd like to try today to mention at least one tshuva from each of the various chalakim. Some of the issues that were raised with Rav Hildesheimer are obviously questions that had been extremely uh, discussed during that period of time, but it's interesting to see how the German Rav reacted to the same shilas that were asked in Hungary and uh, Poland at that time. In Arachayim, the question was asked about a very common situation that people wanted to build a shul, but they wanted to put the, the bima in the front of the shul and not at the Oren Kodesh, not, not in the middle of the shul as is customary, but near the Oren Kodesh. The Rav who asked Rav Hildesheimer mentioned to him that he's not sure how severe an infraction of law this is. If he felt it was really, really important, then he would raise the roof. But he wasn't sure how important the question was. And he discussed the fact that the Rambam, who says that you have to have the bim in the middle, seems to be referring to the situation where simply you won't hear the person from the from the uh, front of the shul, because the pers- the bima was made for the people to get called to the Torah, and for the person to speak. The rabbi would give the musr, or the rav, the chacham, would give musr from the bima, and wanted to make sure everybody heard. But the question was asked, but let's remember that at the time of the Rambam, each person read by himself. And therefore, there was a problem that perhaps a person would get an aliyah who would read the Torah and you couldn't hear him. Why didn't the same issue apply to the Baal Isn't it true the Baal stands in the front? We're not worried about people hearing him. And the answer was because there was one Baal appointed and they made sure they appointed a Baal whose Tfilah's voice could be heard. Today we have a Balkriya. So the Balkriya would be appointed someone who could hurt, who, who could make sure people hurt. So why would that be a problem? As far as the rabbi speaking from the Bima, the fact is today they don't speak from the Bima at all. The rabbi always speaks from the front of the shul. So per, the Rav, this Rav Moshe Leib Engel, who was the Rav of Shasberg, asked this question to Rav Hildesheimer. Maybe today this re, the reasons don't apply Rav Hildesheimer, as what is his want in general, refers to each point of the tshuva. But the bottom line that he says is 
that we should keep the minig of having the bim in the middle. And it seems to him that in many countries, and he wrote some sources for this, they fought a milchemes chova. They fought a, a, a war that they considered an obligation. And therefore, it's included in the concept of chacham she'asar ein If one rav said something's aser, so then it's aser, and you can't ask a different rav to be matir, and the other rav should not be matir. He also points out, Rav Hildesheimer, that nobody changed the custom of having the bim in the, in the middle except for the reformers. Therefore, he says, it's definitely a mitzvah to keep the original minik. This is not something that you should be silent about, especially because a new custom will be entrenched and be considered what is to be proper. And therefore, you should fulfill the mitzvah of hochiach tochiach. The next tshuva is also about a similar issue, a different community. I don't know the community Heldi Shoy, I don't know where that is, where they built a, a new shul. And some people want to have the bimba in the middle, and some people want to have the new custom. He quotes a tshuva of the Mecholas Machanaim from a Rav Yisrael David of the city of Pezing, who apparently raised the roof about this issue and said, there is de Araisa. It's awesome Araisa to do such a thing. Rav Hildesheimer said, I don't know if I'd make such a fuss, but let's remember the Chassam Sofer wrote a tshuva forbidding it. The Chassam Sofer used his classic phrase, Chadash Asrim in Torah. New innovations, obviously a play on words of the Easter of Chadash, is Asrim in Torah. Therefore, they should have the bim in the middle and not change at all any custom. The next tshuva also has a similar tshuva, but here it's, in a sense, it's even stronger language. He says, in a, a, the fellow who wrote the tshuva, Harav Yechezkel Bennett, apparently the Rav of Kratoshin, wrote that the Pokrim, the Apikarsim, built the bima near the Mizrach of the Shul, but now they do want to return it, restore it to the original custom of putting it in the middle. However, they wanted to read the Torah with facing the back of the Shul. Our custom, of course, is we face the front of the shul. And here you're facing the back of the shul. And in other words, the person standing, the, the olim, stand with their back to the Aron Kodesh. And he asked about this. And he explained that they would have a different seating arrangement, etc., etc. In this tshuva, which is, seems to be very common in the tshuva's Rav Hildesheimer, there are a number of points that the person who asked the question raised, and the people who printed the Sefer numbered the points, because Rav Hildesheimer apparently answered point by point, in fact, it seems that he wrote the points adjacent to the original letters, sent back the original letters with his points in between the lines of the person who asked the question. 
it seems to me it would make such a a uh, manuscript, a letter very difficult to read. And in fact, in this volume, on the front page, they have a copy of the manuscript of the writing, and it seems to me that that's the way it was written with lines in between. And I think the people that did who published this book did an amazing work to try to decipher the writing and see what was written by whom. Uh, it seems to me a very difficult task. But for our pers- particular question, the issue, of course, is changing the nature of the structure of the shul. And again, we'll see how Rav Hildesheimer is very adamant. And he says, you should tell the leaders of the community that they should build properly, that you read facing their own Kodesh, and that would be a Kiddush Hashem. It's, a, it's like a Melchemes Mitzvah that people have fought, and therefore we should not change any of the customs. So it's interesting how in Germany, the questions that had really had been raised already about the Bima in different communities was addressed by a person of the stature of Azriel Hildesheimer, who, in a sense, was part of the new, more modern generation than the uh, Gedolim of Hungary and Poland at the time. One of the questions that was discussed with Rav Hildesheimer is found in Yeridea, Simon Reish Lamedalit, where the question was about a particular case where a Jewish girl had lived with a non-Jew. They had a child who died. Now the young lady wrote to her father that she is not going to leave this non-Jew under any circumstances. She'll either marry him or commit suicide, or become a non-Jew. She'll abandon Judaism completely. The father said that he will not sign permission for her to get married. She was below age, and you needed consent of the father in order to perform a, a wedding in that country. The father said he will only consent if the person will convert to Judaism. This non-Jew said, yes, I'll convert to Judaism. The question was asked by Rav Yaakov Hollander, who was from the city of Trier, and he said that we're not going to accept such gerus, because this non-Jew obviously will not keep Torah mitzvahs. He only agreed to convert because he wanted the fathers to sign the consent form to allow him to get married. But he lives in a community where even many, many Jews are Michal Shabbos. He lives in a city called Sarbrikin, where there are very few Shammah Shabbos at all. Then the, the leader of that community told him that the father had said if he doesn't approve of the Geus, so they'll go to a, a Mohel, 
And then, after he has a bris, the fellow will allow him to marry his daughter. I also heard, says this Rav Hollander, that one of the more modern rabbis was willing to accept him as a gear without investigating, without checking, anything that Besdin is really required to do. The father of the girl also promised me that if I agree to the gerus, he'll observe mitzvahs kala kechamur. He'll become a very, very pious and orthodox person. Then the question was asked to Rav Hildesheimer. And his answer reflects also the situation. The first line is, This is one of the more difficult issues of our generation. He says, it's hard to really understand, to know what to do. But in this particular case, we know that the person is going to continue to be Michal Shabbos. He's going to not, he's going to completely re- disregard Torah mitzvahs. I don't understand how can you even think to be Megayor him. If the father will go to a, quote, rabbi, unquote, who will convert him, what, what can I do? Can I tell him what to do? We should protect our own integrity. We should not give him a Jewish girl. Who knows? If we refuse, perhaps she'll yet marry a Jew. Maybe at least someone who'll be con- who really convert. We should not have any share in this at all. The fact that he was threatened that the uh, father will accept uh, a non halachic gerus, or he'll go to a moel of some sort who will just mal the child, or the father promised, this is what I call halachic blackmail. And here Rav Hildesheimer says, you, we do not give into blackmail. Let someone else uh, do whatever he wants, but we're not going to have any part in this at all. One of the questions that was asked to Rav Hildesheimer is re- regards the newspaper of the, the Israelite, which we said last time, was uh, one of the places where Rav Hildesheimer uh, wrote many articles and was actually part of the of the uh, board of some sort of the of the Israelite. Apparently, a, pel- a fellow from Peshburg, uh, Rav uh, Gershon Leach Segal. Gershon Segal, wrote to to the editor, apparently, of the Israelite, who had published an obituary. Someone had written to the Israelite and said that you should not publicize the fact that someone died. In Shulchan Aruch, it really does say that you don't talk you don't, you don't mention, you don't spread the word that somebody died. The uh, publisher of the Israelite apparently apologized, and he said that he only did it derech not as much as an announcement, but as a eulogy. And that seems to be, Tim, it's mutter. And the reason that it might be mutter if it's because of a hesped, because that's considered yikra de shechvi, the respect of the person who passed away. 
So at first he asked one question. The question was asked to Rav Hildesheimer or to the newspaper in a sense. The Gemara has a controversy whether Hesped is really Yikra de Chaye or Yikra de Shechvi. Is it really for the respect, out of respect for the person who passed away? Or more is it for the people who are listening to the, for the survivors? The assumption here is that if Hesped is Yikra de, de Shechvi, then this would be permitted to publish in the newspaper. But he said, then the Gemara should have said, this is one of the distinction, distinctions, one of the nafkeminas, if Yikra Dechai or Yikra Dechichvi, if is Hesped Mutter, is not Hesped, but is Moda'a, is informing, uh, putting, uh, for example, a newspaper article, putting it famous, put up a Pashkavila, something like that, is that uh, permitted? Interesting today how I, I never heard anybody anymore raise this issue. Although it isn't Shulchan Aruch today, people not only tell people that people died, people put a Pashkavilim, and everybody just thinks it's automatically important to tell people that they should um, pay their respects, go to Bimnachim Avil, go to the Levaya, etc., etc. As the custom of Rav Hildesheimer, he pointed out point by point, this, this point was rejected by saying that he thinks that this is mutter, whether it's Yikra Dechaye or Yikra Dechaye. Why didn't the Gemara say this is one of the Nafkeminas? Because it's mutter. Whether it's Yikra Dechaye or Yikra Dechaye, when there's a point of telling people, then it would be mutter. Yikra Dechaye is based on Kavad Abriyos. Kavad Abriyos would also overcome the prohibition of telling people. Uh, one of the issues that was raised by the this Rav uh, Segal, who asked the question, was perhaps writing is different than speaking. And Rav Hildesheimer says he disagrees. Again, a point by point, he disagreed with this point. And he said, no, he thinks that if it's not allowed to write, to to say by word, word of mouth, then it's not allowed to write either. It's not a question of ksiva, like a person can discuss if a, an oath, a shvua, ksav is considered a shvua. Does a shvua have to be oral? But here, it's not a question of using your mouth. The question is motzi diba, to talk uh, improperly, to talk badly. He said, that wouldn't make a difference if you write it or you or you speak it. So therefore, he rejected the argument, but the bottom line is, it seems that he said that uh, the din is like I printed in my column, in my letter that I wrote to the Israelite. Uh, he thanked the person for, uh, you know, asking the question, but apparently Rav Hildesheimer explained in the Israelite, in the newspaper itself, why uh, he felt that this was a permitted practice. In the Chosh Mishpat volume, in Tshuva Kufyud, the question was discussed about the concept of a Tamad Chacham. There is a din, for certain purposes, there is a distinction between a regular person and a Tamad Chacham. For example, uh, in Chol Moed, it says you should not be maspid someone unless he's a, a Tamad Chacham. And the discussion in this tshuva, which might not be actually, this part might not be written as a tshuva. I don't know if somebody asked him a question. It seems to be more of a note that he wrote to himself. But the Levush says that 
even though in certain days we don't uh, say Tzidok Hadin, etc., but we do it for Tamit Chacham. The Atarez Kainim said that's obvious, but the Magen Avram, in the laws of Chalamoid, where they discuss when Chalamoid, whether you can be maspid someone, the Magen Avram said that in our generation there's no such thing as a Tamit Chacham. Tamit Chacham is a person who and the Magen Avram in his generation already said that we have no Tamit Chacham of that caliber. Rav Hildesheimer discussed other sources, but he thought it was obvious that today there's a Tamit Chacham as well. A person whom we respect as a Tamit Chacham, he doesn't refer to the phrase of Yiftach Badaro, Kashmur Badaro. But nevertheless, he says, someone that we respect today has the din of a Tamit Chacham. If he himself treats himself as a Tamit Chacham and therefore demands certain rights of a Tamit Chacham, I don't think that would be proper. For that, there would be no, he would not be considered a Tamit Chacham. But what we have to do for him, that would be a law of a Tamit Chacham in our generation. He, in the uh, volume that's printed, there's a reference to a a speech that Rav Hildesheimer made in the back of the volume of the Chuvas. There are also speeches and various articles written by Rav Hildesheimer. And in this Simon Reishnon test, there's a hesped that he made on a certain Rav Michael Landsberger. The funeral took place Friday afternoon in the year Tafesh Lamid. And Rav Hildesheimer pointed out that he heard people whispering it would be proper to give a hesped. It's Friday afternoon. Rav Hildesheimer said, I decided that it's mutter. Not only do I think it's mutter, I therefore think it's a chiyuf. Because otherwise you're considered a mit'atzel bespedo shachacham as a person who... Ra- did not take seriously a hesped of a chacham. And therefore, it, I feel that we, in our generation, have a tamad chacham for this, for this purpose. And then he goes on to give the hesped. What's interesting is that today, this halacha is almost uh, also disregarded. Today, I think, from my experience, in many cases, when it's not proper to give a hesped, the people get up and say, even though you're not allowed to be masbid today, so we're not going to be masbid, we'll just say a few words. And then they proceed to give a general hesbid. But I remember that both the Rav, Rav Yosef Dov Halevi Salavechik, and his brother, Rav Aaron Salavechik, Zecher, Zechonam Levracha, both passed away in Cholamoy. The Rav passed away in Cholamoy Pesach, and Rebbein passed away in Cholamoyed Sukkot. I was at the Hesped, at the Levi of Rebbein Salavechik in Yerushalayim. And there Rav Aaron Lichlutin Sheibad Elchem Tovim said a Hesped, on Cholamoyed. My assumption is that for a Tamit Chacham we paskin that it's mutter. And a Tamit Chacham is to be considered today a people whom we respect as a Tamit Chacham in, even in our generation. I always had the question about making a bracha on a Tamit Chacham uh, which is mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch, which is a bracha that you're supposed to make, 
Today I hardly have ever heard anyone make such a bracha. And I always wondered, why do we really not have a Tamil Chacham that's, that you should make such a bracha on? I once said, rather jokingly, the reason people don't make a bracha is sometimes I guess you're not sure who's a Tamil Chacham. Ask the person if he's a Tamil Chacham. Most probably, if he answers yes, then, the end, then you should not make a bracha on him. But uh, I, I assume that most people really would say, chas v'shalom, they shouldn't make a bracha on them. But nevertheless, I think such a halacha does apply in our generation as well. And it seems to me that Rev Hildesheimer would say the same thing. In Evan Ezer, a, a question was asked to Rav Hildesheimer, should a, a Kohen marry the daughter of a Kohen? Again, I don't know if this was an actual question that was asked to him, or it's a discussion that he wrote a, a point that he was thought about when he was learning. He wrote it as a shayla, actually. So, and in fact, there is a person who asked the question. But again, was it really asked halacha lamaisa? I'm not really sure. Uh, Rav David Tzvi Katzberg asked Rev Hildesheimer, again, I don't know if it's halacha lamaisa or if it's only a question that came up in learning. They quoted a Rashi in Yevamis that Rashi said, a Kohen should not marry a Bas Yisrael. And he quotes the Gemara Pesachim. The Gemara Pesachim says that a Sudas Rishus, a Tamit Chacham, should not participate in a Suda unless it's a Sudas Mitzvah, but not a Sudas Rishus. And the Gemara says an example of a Sudas Rishus would be if a daughter of a Kohen marries a Yisrael. And there, apparently, she came from a high family, a high class family, a family of Kohanim, where they ate Shuma, etc. And then she goes to marry a Yisrael. Now, Rashi quoted that Gemara as saying not only a Bas Yisrael a Kohen, Bas Kohen Yisrael is improper, but a Bas Yisrael a Kohen is also improper. That seems to be not in accordance with the Gemara and Psachim. The person who asked the question also mentioned that the Rambam, the Shulchan Aruch, didn't mention this halach at all. Then they quoted a certain Sefer of Rav Moshe Kunitz. I never heard of it. Called the Sefer Hametzarif. And they mentioned about Rav Kahana that Rav Kahana discussed the issue about his marrying a Kohen, a Bas Kohen. And, said, and Rav Kahana said that he's a Tamid Chacham. So if Rav Kahana is a Tamid Chacham, what's wrong with his marrying the daughter of a Kohen? Back at Adraba, according to Rashi, he has to marry the daughter of a Kohen. If he's a Kohen, he should marry the daughter of a Kohen. Rav Hildesheimer answered point by point. As to point number one, he mentioned that you have to study the sugya clearly to see where Rashi gets this diuk from. The, in matter of fact, the Rav Hildesheimer pointed out that Abbas Kohen really doesn't have to marry a Kohen, but she should be careful not to marry an Amaretz. Now, what's the definition of an Amaretz? Rav Hildesheimer claimed that in the time of the Gemara, the Amaretz meant the person who was, was, and was 
opposed to Judaism. And therefore, they hated Amaratzim. Therefore, it wouldn't be appropriate for a daughter of a Kohen to marry an Amaretz. Today, the concept is, uh, of an Amaretz is different. And therefore, we should not be add to the Chumr of the Gemara. And today, he would say we, a daughter of a Kohen could marry anyone. He also pointed out that Ram Shuchnach did not quote this halacha because they didn't accept the halacha. They don't think it's a real halacha. Lastly, he said this Sefer HaMetzarev he has never seen. But to discuss Rav Kahana is a little problematical because was Rav Kahana a Kohen or not? The, the fact that Rav Kahana at one point mentioned he's a Tamit Chacham, uh, Rav Kahana could have another made the statement at one time for whatever reason, but maybe he didn't consider himself a Tamit Chacham. Tosos in Kedushin points out that there were two Rav Kahanas. One was a Kohen and one was not a Kohen. We know, according to one terrace of Tosos in Kedushin, the Rav Kahana was not a Kohen, married the daughter of a Kohen. Since that is true, so perhaps Rav Kahana's issue in the Gemara that he discussed marrying the daughter of a Kohen is because he neither considered himself a Tamit Chacham, nor was he a Kohen, if that was the Rav Kahana that we're talking about. And therefore he discussed if it would be appropriate for him to marry the daughter of a Kohen. The bottom line is that this halach is not quoted in the Ram and the Shulchan Aruch. So, I guess it was felt that it's not normative halacha. But the interesting issue that was raised about Rav Kana has, of course, ramifications that I discussed in a different shiur once. Tosus mentions, uh, the Gemarian Kedushin says that Rav Kana received a sudar for Pidyan Aben. And the Gemara says there, the question was, can you, a Kohen, does the Kohen have to receive money, or can he receive Shava Kesef? And the Gemara there discusses the fact that he got a Sudar, Rav Kuna t- took a Sudar, a type of a scarf, a type of a garment, for Pidyan Aben. Tosus points out, but if Rav Kana was not a Kohen, how could he accept Pidyan Aben? And we know Rav Kana was not a Kohen. One answer is, there were two Rav Kanas. One was a Kohen, one was not a Kohen. The other one is, that even though Rav Kana was not a Kohen, he could accept Pidyan Aben for his wife, who was the daughter of a Kohen, and she could accept Pidyan Aben. Of course, this led to a major halachic decision, discussion. Can a woman who's the daughter of a Kohen actually perform the ceremony of Pidyan Aben acting as a Kohen? That is a, an issue that I feel requires a larger discussion at a, at a different time. Nevertheless, the Shuvah of Rav Hildesheimer discussing who would be would it be appropriate for a Kohen to marry the daughter of a Kohen, or a daughter of a Kohen to marry a Kohen, is an interesting uh, question, although it does not seem to be normative halacha.